Give us a king on the Article 7 podcast. Hello there, this is Pastor Andy Jago from Bethany Lutheran Church and Preschool and getting out a sermon podcast uh, faster than you could say lickety split. Uh, We're getting these out there because I'm horribly behind and I don't want to start the year uh, 2020 in such a hole. Um, So going back to the year 2019 and getting out as many sermons as I possibly can, these are all part of the story, a special spiritual growth series where members are invited to read ahead of time uh, before each Sunday. You don't have to do that to listen to this podcast per se, um, but uh, for future podcasts and future sermons at Bethany, uh, you may want to take a look at www.bethany, B-E-T-H-A-N-Y dash L-C-M-S dot O-R-G and backslash the story, all one word and all lowercase. So this uh, sermon is number 10, chapter 10 of the story, and it involves the the beginning of the king in Israel. Uh, In fact, the title of the sermon is Give Us a King. failings were mainly insecurity, we'll say. He sacrificed before Samuel arrived something that apparently was against the commandment of God. And so the Lord begins to turn away from this king. But later on, it's a little more obvious. There's greed and selfishness. He doesn't destroy the enemy loot. The uh, (laughs) Amalekite loot And he holds the king hostage, things that are against the express direct command of God. And you can see that Saul turns his heart now away from God. Samuel regrets and says that the Lord will now turn to a king who is after God's own heart. And that will be in next week's chapter. What went wrong? The people wanted a king, and they asked for a king. Now again, if you have your Bible with you, take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20. You could use the pew Bible in front of you. And again, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20. If you have this book with you, page 136 up at the top of the story. The people want a king, and they ask for a king. And, and what are the, the characteristics of that request? There's three things if you look at it. One is to be like all the other nations. You want a king like all the other nations. The second, the kid, so that we could have a king that would fight for us, a king that would fight our battles. Now, Andrew Steinman, who writes the book called God's promises, or called to be God's people, rather, called to be God's people. Andrew Steinman 
in this section of 1 Samuel, he points out the pronouns and emphasizes us and our battles. Looking at those pronouns, he wonders if it isn't there that, that the people are rejecting the notion that they're fighting God's battles and for God's great and glorious name. But instead, they want someone who, human who perhaps they can manipulate. Hence, Samuel's words you have re- and God's words to Samuel. They have actually rejected me as their king. Now, it's understandable, I think, when people want to know of a God that is in their image. And I certainly, it certainly is not off-putting to me when I, when I encounter pictures of, say, an African Jesus or an Asian Jesus. I twist my face a little bit when I see the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, perhaps. <laughs> but these are... Examples of people wanting to, 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 to have a God who's close to them. They're, they're, they're expressing or, or thinking about in the, 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 the biblical stories from their cultural perspective. It's how they see it in their imagination. This sometimes is, is helpful for our missions. And isn't it human nature to want God, a God who is identifiable, who's, who's close, relatable, real, That in and of itself, I would say, is not a sin. That's a holy desire. But it's when we temper or change the way that Jesus reveals himself in Scripture, when we manipulate the things that we have received from God, well, then we're making God up into our own image. Christian writer Ed Steltzer says that this is ironic, Why is it ironic? Because, he says, Jesus came so we could be remade in his image. There's an extreme example of this given in the movie Dogma. It's riddled with obscenities. It's not something I recommend. But I know that some people have have watched and recommended to my viewing. There's a terrible scene in there, which you could watch on YouTube. It's where George Carlin plays a Roman Catholic priest. Now, right there, you know things are going to go off the rails, right? (laughs) In this scene, he unveils that the new symbol for the Catholic Church is not going to be that we're going to put away the crucifix and we're going to bring out the buddy Jesus. And yes, it's as crass and as awful as you can imagine it, you know, with Jesus with his thumbs up and smiling and winking at people. Ugh. Is that, now, it, what's interesting, though, it is, what I found, though, is that maybe that's an accurate cultural commentary. It's a commentary on, on our society, wanting a God that we're comfortable with. I mean, think of how baby Jesus in this time of Christmas is emphasized and lifted up. It's a kinder, gentler Jesus, and, and, emphasis, and of course, people gravitate to that, perhaps, more than the sign of the crucifix or the Christus Rex. Christ who is ruler over all. There's a phrase that, that, that we, we, we say we're comfortable with Jesus as our Savior, but do we say the fullness of Jesus is our Lord and Savior? If we cringe or shy away from the word Lord, 
meaning that there's a, a claim upon us and upon our lives, well, that's telling. It's telling if Christ the King is saying we can find him, we can view him when we serve the least. And if that's not where we are looking for our king, that also is telling. Christ says we can serve our king, we can serve him by serving the least of these. To be the greatest in his kingdom is to, to serve. And if we shy away from serving, if that's not what we're thinking about, that's telling. What it's telling of us, especially during this time of Advent where we're supposed to be preparing our hearts and our minds and our lives to receive our King. If we're shying away from Lord Jesus, looking for Him in the least and looking to serve people to be the greatest in His kingdom, then we have to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You can look at that in your Bible if you wish, Romans 12, verse 2, where it says, do not be conformed to the things of this world. And perhaps if we're shying away from the images of King and Lord, then we are, we are being conformed to the world's definition of power and authority. If we're not looking to the least, if we're not looking to serve. Paul says, do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that that is good and acceptable, the will of God. Saul, King Saul, forgot what is the good and acceptable will of God. Looking perhaps more to his own selfish will. The people forgot what is the good and acceptable will of God. Looking toward their selfish needs. The more we become conformed to this world, the more inward we turn and the less we know of what is good and acceptable to God. We have to take the test of Saul. Are we letting our insecurity and greed get the better of us? What can insecurity and greed lead to? Well, in this holiday shopping season. It could lead to a lot of consumer spending. That much is obvious, I think. And here I want to say there's nothing wrong with gifts, lights, food, things that give us comfort. There's nothing sinful in and of, it, in and of itself with those things. But think of this. When our Lord appeared among us, he was living humbly and obediently with his family in Bethlehem. And then later traveled through Egypt as a refugee. Did anyone recognize him there as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Same way today. If we see people humble and obedient, if we see the poor and refugees, do we recognize them as our king? What you have done to the least of these, you have done also to me, our king says. Christ the king is alive and here on earth. And no, our king isn't here to fight our battles. 
and make us like other people, we are here to serve Him, to prepare our hearts as thrones for Him in this season of Advent. Back to our text for today, 1 Samuel chapter 12. There's thunder and there's rain, and the people tremble, and they repent after receiving the law. They recognize that they have sinned. And in the midst of their sin, Samuel doesn't heap on terrors, but instead he says, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people. Words of sweet gospel are spoken to encourage, for people to put away their fear. And that points us to the whole gospel plan, the whole plan, the whole point, the, 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 uh, what's called the upper story, the whole story, the larger story that each chapter of this is leading us to, that God will send us a king who will come because that's the fulfillment of all his promises, because for the sake of his great name, he has not rejected his people. God will send us a king because his promises are, are steadfast, even against sinfulness and rebellion. And yes, at the end of Samuel's speech, he does warn the people that they, if they do not turn their hearts to God, will be swept away. They will perish. If you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. And you know what? That's what happens. Spoiler alert. We're going to see that unravel in the next chapters of the story, in the next few months to come. And yet the story of Christmas that we are preparing for is that God's promises are not overcome by anything, not our insecurity, not our selfishness, not any of our sin. God comes into our world. God comes into our story, into our lives, into our family. For all our disobedience to God and our rejection of our heavenly king, Christ still comes. To fill us with terror? No. He comes humbly, riding on a donkey to show his peacefulness. To destroy every sinner? No. To humbly obey where we have not. To offer his righteous life in exchange for our own. To give us what we deserve for our rebellion? No. To fill us with his grace so that we can be gathered up to him when our king returns. In the meantime, before he comes, our king would have us cast aside our selfishness and sinfulness. Our king would have us learn the lesson of Saul and prepare for his coming by turning outside of ourselves in love and adorn our lives with works of service and kindness. And oh, doesn't this season just afford us so many opportunities to serve the least of these? Whether that's buying toys or long johns or gift cards or adorning our families in our church with service 
preparing to celebrate the coming of our king at Christmas. And listen to these words of Samuel, because I think they also give us direction for this season. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. These words touch my heart. And they tell me that that's a good place to start this Advent. Let's look around us. Let's look around us right now. See the people that God puts in your path. Family members, church members, complete strangers perhaps. And let's see every person as an opportunity for prayer. Remembering these words, far be it from me that I should fail to pray. Yes, like the people of Israel before us, we would be lost. We couldn't adorn our lives with goodness and kindness. We couldn't know what is the will of God. We couldn't do those things without God's steadfast love, God's commitment to our salvation, and God's throne of grace where we can bring every petition and prayer, knowing that our Lord hears us. By God's Holy Spirit, may our King not find us conformed to the world in this season, but transformed in the renewing of our minds. This Advent, being able to know the good and acceptable will of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, enthroning our King upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace that passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds forever on Christ Jesus.